Lovely. Thanks, Claire. So it is time for the children and the youth to go out to their separate groups. So children, you're going that way and you're going out with Amy and someone else. Tom. <laughs> Amy and Tom. Totally knew that. And youth, you're going that way with Claire. And they too are going to be able to look at Noah's Ark just as we are in here. So let's pray for those guys as they go. So God, we thank you so much for our young people in this church. And we pray that you would be with them as they explore your word together. We pray that they would learn something of your love and just have a really good time with each other. Amen. Amen. So we're going to dive straight in to looking at that Bible reading today. Now, it was long, but it wasn't as long as reading the whole of Genesis 6 to 9, I promise you now. So we're in this series where we're looking at our favorite Bible stories again. And these are like, you know, the classic stories we explored as, as young children at Sunday school, if you went to a Sunday school. Um, and Noah's Ark is like one of the staple stories, isn't it? That's a story that we know really well. And it's sort of the inspiration behind this whole series, actually. Um, because I find Noah's Ark fascinating because it's still a really popular toy. You can get Noah's Ark toys like in loads of places, like a lovely wooden ark with lovely smiley animals, and it's all very nice, isn't it? And we give out um, baptism Bibles here. So when babies are baptized, we give out uh, my first Bible, and on the front of it, it's got Noah's Ark full of smiling animals and smiling Noah. In fact, I think we've got a picture, John. There we go. That's lovely, isn't it? It's, you'll, you'll see the error. There's, there's two male lions, so they're going to struggle after the ark. Um, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> but they all look very happy. It looks idyllic, doesn't it? It's lovely. And like, we still love that sort of image. You can even buy like silver Noah's Ark for christening presents. Like, there's all sorts of things. And my first tooth, I think I've seen one of those. And like, we love this image of Noah's Ark. But it's kind of bizarre because this is a story about how God wiped out all of humanity bar Noah and his family. So it's like, it's really weird that we love it so much, isn't it? Or I think it is. Um, and as children, we looked at this story and we were like, oh, okay, humanity had got really, really bad. Fair enough. But Noah was all right. So God wiped everybody out, um, but not Noah. And then he promised never to do it again. So it's all all right. And we're told, like, if we obey God like Noah, we'll be fine. <laughs> it's kind of like, I'm not sure I'm really satisfied with that as an explanation for the whole story. Not quite anyway. But I remember as a child, like, I remember seeing the rainbow in the sky. And, I'm, you know, my dad loves a rainbow because he goes, oh, look at God's promise to us. Isn't it lovely? And I, see, I always used to look at a rainbow and think, God's <laughs> mad at us again. And he's reminding himself. <laughs> <laughs> That's always just what I used to think, like God is reminding himself that he shouldn't destroy us again. That tells you something about my psyche anyway. Um, so just like we did with creation uh, a couple of weeks ago, we're kind of going to dig a bit deeper and see what else we can get out of this story. Like, what have we missed? So when we looked at creation, we saw that there were loads and loads of different creation narratives. And I unpacked one like Babylonian narrative in some detail. Um, but we're not going to do that today. We're not going to take another flood narrative and unpack it. But let me tell you that there are a lot of flood narratives. Like, there are flood narratives from all around the globe. 
It is quite incredible. I believe there's hundreds of flood narratives that are ancient stories about a flood. So it's, I find that really interesting. And then it's like, oh, so was there a flood? Hmm, maybe there was a flood. I don't know. Is it a myth? I don't know. Was it worldwide? It feels fairly unlikely that there was a worldwide flood at one moment in history because aside from anything else, people had no concept of the globe and wouldn't know if it was a worldwide flood or not. So that, I, yeah, I don't know. But there are so many different stories about a flood. So was it just that there was a myth and it became translated into loads of different cultures and people saw this story and kind of liked it and adapted it for their own culture? Or was it that there was indeed a flood of some kind and people tried to explain why there had been a flood and what had happened? Because that's still what we do, isn't it? I'm from, I'm from Worcester and um, the flood, we used to get floods every single year in Worcester. And the story was always like, oh, well, there's been snow in North Wales and they've had some heavy rainfall. So give it a few days and it'll be down in Worcester. And then, you know, the flood was hit. Um, and so we always had the story, and it was a scientific story, really. It's, this is what has happened. Whereas in those days, if something has happened, maybe they were telling stories to try and explain what had happened. They didn't really know, but they were just telling stories to try and figure it out amongst themselves. So maybe that is what happened. And people still do this today, don't they, actually? They still make up stories about things. Like, when we have natural disasters, there are still some people that go, oh, well, that shows that God's very angry with us for this. And I think, oh, dear. <laughs> but it still happens. People still say this. So we're not going to look at other flood narratives, interesting as they are. Have a Google. Um, but I'm going to assume that Noah is one of many flood narratives. And I'm assuming that it's again told for a purpose, that it's been told for a reason, that it's trying to communicate something. So remember on creation I said that this is a people trying to explain who their God is. They're trying to work out who their God is, what his nature is, and therefore trying to work out who they are in, in like response to that. So Noah, it's actually part of the creation story. So we tend to think, don't we, as uh, the creation story is like Genesis 1 and 2, um, but we don't often think beyond that. But actually, if you look at Genesis 1 to 11, like it's this whole chunk of, of written, not history, but um, kind of, uh, I was going to say mythology, that's also the wrong word, can't find the right word, but it's written as a chunk to like explain a load of stuff. So we can look at that whole narrative as part of creation. So Noah is part of the creation story. And what happens in Noah's flood is that there has been a creation. We know that creation has happened. We're all here. We're all evidence of a creation. We're good with that. Um, then there has been a fall, and people are a bit messed up now. And but, I mean, we're only six chapters into Genesis, six chapters into the start of the Bible, and already Cain and Abel are murdering each other. It's, it's terrible. Um, and then Noah comes along. The flood comes along. And what happens is God uncreates. So he's created, and then he decides to uncreate. So it's like God looks at humanity and sees violence and sees destruction and sees death and sees everything that he did not create humanity to be. They've rejected the very purpose that God made them for, and they've rejected the image of God. They've rejected that within themselves. 
And so God looks at them and thinks, oh. And it says that God feels regret. Wow. I mean, but I, whether you believe this to be a factual event and whether you believe this actually happened, for me, I don't think that God could have looked at humanity and regretted it. But this is what the writers put. So God regretted ever having made them. And that regret in this story, it leads him to take it all back. So like he's created everything and it's all gone a bit wrong and he decides he's going to take it all back and he uncreates. But of course, Noah receives grace from God. It's this undeserved favour. That's what grace is. So although Noah was righteous, he still didn't actually deserve that level of grace. Um, But God gave it to him and then sealed him and his family and all the animals and everything else in the ark. And then the flood is this literal reversal of creation. I find it really interesting. I don't know if you do, but I do. Um, It's sort of subtle, but like once you've seen it's there, it's like, oh. (laughs) And so what happens is um, when you read it, the humans go into the ark, then the animals, then the birds, then the creatures that crawl along the ground, and it literally works backwards through the days of creation. So it's like God is uncreating in this story. It goes backwards through the story. So it gets to the earth and the sea. You know, in creation, they're separated. In the flood, they're covered again. The sea covers all of the earth again. And then the waters above and the waters below that are separated in creation come back together again in the flood story. And all is chaotic water. And so he has uncreated everything he created, except for little Noah bobbing around in his boat bless him it's got to be quite terrifying Um, but he's uncreated everything that he made and then what does he do well then he recreates there you go he recreates into a square earth he doesn't he doesn't that is not true (laughs) so he recreates um, from Noah and from everything that he had on the ark. He makes creation 2.0, if you like. He starts it again, and it's wonderful. And Noah gets off the ark, and he makes a sacrifice. He makes an animal sacrifice, which I find funny in itself if he's only got two of every creature, <laughs> and the first thing he does is kill one of them, but never mind. Um, so he, he makes this sacrifice, and it says God accepts it. And actually, that's, that's really interesting because it indicates that creation 2.0, it indicates that God knows humanity is not perfect. Humanity isn't going to be perfect. He knows already that humanity is fallen. And he hasn't chosen to completely eradicate everyone and start again, but he's chosen to work with it anyway. And so... Um, he, Noah comes and sacrifices this animal and God accepts it and it's like, it's like God's going, okay, well, do you know what? Humanity is fallen. Humanity is broken and maybe humanity needs an outlet for violence and maybe this is going to be it. And so actually he allows people, um, after the flood, he allows people to suddenly sacrifice animals. He allows an outlet for that violence but forbids killing each other. So, like, humanity is then forbidden. But the rules have changed. Like, he's changed the rules of creation for the sake of humanity, which is kind of mind-blowing. Like, if God's perfect and we're totally imperfect, but God is working with us anyway and changing the rules for us, it's like, wow. So, but what is the point, anyway? What is the point of all of this? Because it's kind of interesting, or I think it is. Um, 
But what is the point of Noah's story? What is the point of the whole flood narrative? Well, I think, first of all, it sets us up as the new image of God. And it's like, yep, we're an imperfect people, but God is choosing to still work with us. Still choosing to work with an imperfect people. I mean, the first thing Noah does when he gets off his ark is he goes and messes up and he gets really drunk. and He doesn't act brilliantly when he gets off his ark. So like, but God is choosing to work with us. And of course, it frames who God is as well. This is a story that frames who God is. And what they're saying is that their God, what God they're writing about, the God that we serve, they're saying their God is not a God who sends natural disasters to punish us. They're saying, nope, God doesn't do that, which is great. So we can all still stick with the rainbow. We're good. We can still have the rainbow as a sign of hope. Why not? It's lovely. Um, But it also says that God is a God who, seeing that we rejected his first creation, seeing that we weren't quite happy with it, seeing that we wanted to change it, listened to us, the ones he created, and changed the rules, which is very cool. Like a God that actually listens and cares and goes, okay, if that's what you want, yep, I can work with that. Let's change these rules. Let's change that. Like, this is a God that's interested. This is a God that's relational. This is quite a beautiful thing. And then finally, it shows us a God who always redeems and renews everything. It shows us a picture of a God that is interested in redeeming us. And I find it really beautiful that this redemption story or myth or whatever you want to call it was written by a people like so long ago who were making sense of God, who were making sense of who they were, and they started to tell a story of a God who redeems and makes things new. Because isn't that beautiful? Like, isn't that the gospel message? Isn't that the whole message that brings us here today, that God is in the business of redeeming and renewing? And they started to tell that story so long ago. Right at the start of our Bible, we see that. And it's not that they're talking about Jesus, it's not that they're talking about the gospel, but they're telling a story about God that we still believe is true. And so actually the gospel message itself, not that they knew it, but the gospel message itself is that however broken we are and however messed up we are, whatever we have done, that through Jesus' life, death and resurrection, or Jesus' creation, uncreation, recreation, if you like, is working with us to make us anew. Like, there is no way that anybody could have done something so bad that God is done with you. Like, God looked at humanity, and a lot of it was bad, but in this story, still saved it, still decided to work with it. And the point of this story is that God is looking to redeem, looking to renew, wants to use what is here, wants to renew it, wants to bless it, And that is the whole point of this Noah story for me. It's this story of of creation, uncreation, recreation. It's a God that wants to recreate and restore. (coughs) Wow. (laughs) I mean, they're very excited about it in the back. (laughs) But it is this absolutely beautiful story that however messed up we are, whatever has gone wrong, there is nothing that is beyond God's redemption. So let's pray. God, we thank you so much 
that you choose to work with us. We thank you that you choose to listen to us, that you care for us. We thank you that you invite us to be part of your planning. And God, we pray today that um, all of those parts of ourselves that we know where actually we feel like we've messed up and like it's broken, we pray that we would be able to bring those to you knowing that you are the God who redeems, who renews, who makes things new. And we thank you that your people have been telling your story for so long that it is always a story of renewal and redemption. And we pray that we would continue to tell that story in this place. Amen.